Hello, greetings and welcome to another episode of The Jesus Road, Following the Footsteps of the Lord. Today I would like to explain a little bit of who I am and my journey to come to the Lord. Just over two years ago, I was a normal, I thought, average, healthy, mature man without a care in the world. I went to work, went home to a normal, healthy wife, and rode occasionally. I went to church occasionally, but didn't consider myself wedded to any particular denomination. My thoughts about the Lord were random, sporadic even. My son lived with us because we had a large house that used to be four apartments, so it was convenient to let out one to him to live in. We occupied the top two apartments happily. I worked at my son's building where I had my own business, owned conjointly with my son. Little did I realize that my world was about to change drastically. I would be plummeting off a cliff that even the doctors didn't think it was possible that I would ever recover from. You see, one morning I went to work as normal, or so I thought, but my wife had grown concerned because I was slurring my words. My son offered to take me to the hospital, which I dismissed out of hand, but when I realized my words were coming out jumbled, I agreed, so he took me to the hospital, and to tell you the truth, I didn't even make it through the emergency waiting room. I woke up in the hospital room, groggy and confused. I didn't know how I got there. The lights were fuzzy, and I was wearing diapers, I think. Lying in bed, I don't even remember if my wife was there. The room went spinning around and around. The lights seemed to grow brighter and brighter. I tried to cry out for help, but I choked because I couldn't speak. The nurse had her back to me, filling in some forms. I struggled. I waved my arms wildly about until I was tired, trying to get her attention. No noise would come out of my mouth. I couldn't get up out of bed, but the nurse left while I was trying. I dropped back on my bed and wept. Eventually, I fell asleep crying. When I next woke up, I remember a food tray being placed on the bed in front of me, but I just started, stared at it dumbly. I didn't know how to use a knife and fork. I had forgotten what they were used for. I couldn't get the food into my mouth. I tried that to tell that to the nurse, but I found out to my horror that I still couldn't talk. All of my words were still jumbled, like I was thinking in word salad. I was, to put it mildly, terrified. I was about to try again when I realized to my alarm something that made me truly, truly afraid. I wasn't even sure who I was. You can't appreciate the abject sense of panic I experienced in that moment. It was frightening enough not to know how to use a knife and fork, but it was genuinely ghastly not to have any idea at all who you were. While I was thinking these thoughts incoherently, the nurse left and my wife came in. I recognized her, but I didn't recognize her. I knew that she was someone important to me, but I just couldn't say who she was for the life of me. I think she asked me how I was feeling, but I was lightheaded and couldn't think of what to answer. It was important to me to express that I didn't know who I was or why I was there, but again, I just couldn't speak. I would try to say something, and the only word that finally came out of my mouth was the word special. It horrified me that I could not speak. It wouldn't have been so bad if only I could tell her I couldn't speak, 
but that was beyond me. I was desperate to do something, anything to her, but the only word that would come out of my mouth was that stupid word special. I said it again and again and again. My wife cried. I don't remember this, but after she wiped the tears from her eyes, she fed me like I was a baby. That was the last I remember until two days had passed. It was oddly mysterious that I'd forgotten two entire days. I can't remember anything at all about them. On the third day, a speech therapist came into my room when no one else was there. He was a young man with black hair and thin eyebrows, I remember. He had a pleasant face, the features of which I can't recall. He was of average height and average weight. I don't really remember, though. Hello, he said. I'm... And I'm your speech therapist. I can't remember for the life of me what his name was. How are you feeling today? I answered with the only word that I could say at that point. Special, I said. He looked puzzled. Special, he said. Special, I repeated. No, I asked you how you were feeling. Special, I said. I see, he said, a look of concern growing on his useful face. I couldn't tell him anything different though I desperately wanted to tell him something, anything at all. By this point, I was resigned to never speaking again, except that one single word. I had to find a different way to communicate. Well, he said, rifling through a briefcase, laying it on the floor and triumphantly pu pulling out a stack of index cards. Let's check the range of your expression, okay? Special, I answered. Yes. Well, can you say the name of the animal on this card? He held up a picture of a dog. Special, I said. Yes, but what is this animal? It's a dog, D-O-G. Can you say dog? Special, I said. No, dog. Come on, you can say it. I hesitated. Why can I only say special? I concentrated on the word dog. I could hear it in my head. Dog, D-O-G. Come on, you can say it, he urged pleasantly. Special, I said. Eh, that's good, he said. We'll come back to that one later. He smiled, and in my current state, that made all the difference in the world to me. Another card, and this time it was of a cat. Now, this one is a little different, he said. This one is a cat. C-A-T. Can you see the difference? I can see the difference. I thought I'm not stupid. I just can't talk. And that single line of thought surprised me. I had thought in a complete sentence and for the first time expressed my conundrum. I'm not stupid. That shot, thought shocked me. I wasn't stupid. I just couldn't remember who I was, but I still had faculties to think. I could say the word cat in my head, just as I could say the word dog in my head. I knew for the first time that although I couldn't talk, I could still think. And with that, believe it or not, relief flooded over me. My right side was damaged. I knew that by now. And I didn't know who I was, and I couldn't speak, but I kept the ability to think. I can't tell you how much I clung to that thought. I could think. Come on, he said encouragingly. You can say it. Special, I said. Try again. I scrunched up my face because I wouldn't give up. I could think, therefore there was hope. Special, I said. Try again, he suggested. Special, yeah, yeah, cat. This elicited a smile from him, and I smiled like an idiot, too. Say it again. Special. 
All right, we've got a way to go. He tried for another 15 minutes with various flashcards, but the only response he could get out of me was, you got it special, which only proved what he said. We had a long way to go. By the time he had shown up for only three days, we were through. I was being released. I didn't get any say in it either. As far as the insurance was concerned, I was cured. I could say dog and cat and of course special, but that was it. My wife kept coming in to see me and I could finally remember who she was and I was too. I vaguely remember my son, my brother and sister-in-law, my half-sister, who I now recognize as Jennifer, and three of her kids, or maybe two. We played Scrabble and I think that I won, but Jennifer must have given me the win. I have no illusions that I was good enough by then to win. That is all I remember of my stay in the hospital, except getting up twice and falling because my right side was damaged and I couldn't maintain my balance. I fell down hard. I bruised badly because they had me on a blood thinner called Plavix, and I looked horrible with black and blue all down my arm. I was trying to get up and go to the bathroom by myself, but I couldn't make it. I don't know how I avoided having a catheter inserted in me for those five days, but I'm grateful I didn't have one. Wait, I remember being wheeled in my bed down long hallways, around several corners and into a room where a needle was shoved into my arm. Then I was slid into a confined shell that was a CT scanner, I think. Then I was taken out and taken away. Later, I was to find out that I had a stroke, that I had a narrowing of an artery leading to the brain that had significantly reduced my blood flow going there. It had interrupted my ability to think. It had literally scrambled my memories, affected my ability to speak, and affected the right side of my body. I could stay that way or get better. There was no way of telling which way it would go. It was a toss-up at that point, but I didn't know it. All I remember is being wheeled away from the room they tested me in. I didn't even know who did the testing. I remember at one point sitting up by the curbside in a wheelchair. I don't know how I got there. I really don't but I was going home. I remember feeling anxious, unsure. I was uncertain of what home was. You can hardly believe that I didn't know what my home was, but it's true. Really, really true. The next thing I can recall is being at my house and being thankful for it. I don't remember climbing the stairs that led to our bedroom. I don't remember how I got there. The next thing I knew, I was in bed. I don't even remember my wife being there until she picked me off the floor. I had tried to get out of the bed to go to the bathroom, but didn't make it. I remember her crying at that. She did a lot of crying in those days, but she had to tell me repeatedly so I would get what she was going through because I don't remember. It's like she was talking about a total stranger. Who was that man that she cried over, I wondered. All I could do now is listen to her tell me about it because it sort of rings a bell and sort of doesn't. That's the way my memory works. If she tells me enough, I believe it. Gradually, I feel that I own that memory, as though by memorizing her words, I can recapture the memory. Eventually, it becomes a part of my memories, although I always know in the back of my mind that it is an implanted memory. I will take it, though. An implanted memory is better than no memory at all. My diabetes and resultant high blood pressure, I later learned, were what had caused my stroke. They told me, but it went in one ear and out the other. To keep my diabetes under control, I was on five shots per day, four of Humalog injections, and on Lantus at night to keep my diabetes 
my, well, under control. I took metropolol and lisinopril for my blood pressure, Plavix and Navarstatin for my blood thinner and by my cholesterol. Also, I took Malaxacan for a slight bit of arthritis. My diabetes left me hopeless, so how did I get into this mess? But I wasn't clear-headed enough yet to change my diet. Oh, sure, I quit eating things with sugar in them. I ate whole wheat bread, healthy oatmeal, whole wheat pasta, and amaranth, and other supposedly healthy things. My wife showed me how to take my blood sugar by pricking my finger and then dabbing blood on a strip that was inserted into a machine, which then told me what my blood sugar was. But I resented it. At that stage of my recovery, I was like a little kid. My wife would tell me things that I would promptly forget. I didn't know anything was wrong with me. Enough of my memory had returned that I knew who I and my wife were. The rest of the people she identified for me, although she had to constantly remind me of who they were. I credit my wife with a great deal of patience during that time. Honestly, I don't know how she put up with me. But instead of giving up, she just kept repeating things to me over and over again. My blood sugar continued to be high, around 160. I didn't know what to do about it. But once again, my wife came to our rescue and got me off of the injections. It came in the form of something she had been watching on YouTube. I'll tell you tomorrow about it in episode three of How I Came to the Lord in Traveling Down the Jesus Road, episode three.